Can we say that this morning? Whatever, Lord, you want to do in my life to break my will. That's a, that's a tough prayer to pray, but it's a good prayer because he will draw us to himself. He will do great things in our lives when we're willing to surrender everything to him. Good morning, and we're going to open in a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll look at the word of God. Shall we just pray? Father, we just thank you for the beautiful song that Jenny sang. We pray that you'll work deeper in our lives uh, to draw us closer to you, Lord. And whatever circumstances you need to use in our lives to draw us there, we pray that you will do it. That you will break our wills, Lord, and help us to have no will but your will in our lives. And Father, we just pray that you'll direct us now by the Holy Spirit. Teach us from your word. Please hide me behind the cross and may the, may the word go forth today in power in the Holy Spirit. We pray for people to be saved today and for believers to be built up in the faith. We just commit it to you and thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Adel asked me to speak. This is the first time I ever spoke in the middle of the vacation before. So I prepared the message last week so I would have it, have it ready. And I've been thinking about this subject quite a bit uh, ever since. And I'd like to ask you a few questions as we begin the message this morning. Four questions. First of all, what does it mean to be great? What is greatness? Does the world consider you great? And the last question, and more importantly, is does God consider you great? Yes, may the Lord help us today as we think about the subject of greatness. You know, if you take the word great and you look it up in the dictionary, I found some interesting definitions for it. It means much higher in some quality or degree, much above the ordinary or average, eminent, distinguished. You know, we, we throw that word around a lot lately, great this, great that, great people, great things. We use it so much, it's almost become commonplace in our world today. But when you think about what the world considers great, and then contrast that with what the Lord considers great, totally opposite. Totally opposite. For example, greatness in the world today is associated with success. Successful people are great people. It's also associated with fame and money and power and influence and popularity in this world. Certain people are considered great. You know, in politics, people are great when they achieve the office of president or senator or congressman or, or in the world today, prime minister or there are queens and kings in this world. They're considered great people. People look up to them, consider them great. In business, you've got leaders like Larry Ellison or Bill Gates CEOs of companies that have started from meager beginnings and have risen up the corporate ladder. Unbelievable. In sports, you have people like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong. People like this, they're considered great athletes. And it's amazing they achieve that status. And then in entertainment, how about J-Lo? How about Ben Affleck? How about Matt Damon? How about Julia Roberts? You know, you could go on and on. The world considers these people great. So they go on talk shows and they go on news programs and they ask them, what do you think about all these different issues? And because they're great in the world of one aspect, like entertainment, oh, their opinion must count for a lot. They're great people. But you know what? What God considers great is so much different than that. Worldly greatness is so fleeting. One day you can be at the top of the charts. 
You can be A number one. You can be on top of everything. People love you. You think you're great. And then all of a sudden, you've fallen. And then nobody knows about you anymore. Nobody knows your name. Nobody even cares about you anymore. That greatness that was there for a moment is gone. Wouldn't you rather be great in God's sight? Because when you're great in God's sight, you're great forever. For eternity, it's not a fleeting thing. It's coming and it's coming to stay. What the world considers great is one thing, but what God considers great is totally different. And this morning, our subject is greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven. What does God consider great? Reminds me of the time when God sent Samuel the prophet to go and anoint a new king to replace Saul because Saul had disobeyed the Lord and and the Lord told him, Saul, you're out. You're not going to be king anymore. So he sent Samuel and he went to the sons of Jesse. And remember, he had all seven sons pass before, before him and the Lord had not picked any of those sons. He says, do you have any other sons? Well, we have this one. His name is David. He's short. He's ruddy. He's handsome appearance. He's out there tending the sheep. He couldn't be the one God chose to be king. But notice what the Lord says to Samuel. He says this, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. He refused all those sons of David. He says, For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And when God looks at your life today, what does he see? How big is your heart for Him? How great is your character for Him? How much integrity and and humility and those kind of things do you have? God is interested on the inside. Man is interested on the outside. And that's why when God repairs us, when He puts us back together, when He saves us, He saves us from the inside out, not from the outside in. The Pharisees made that mistake. They washed the outside of the dish. They went through all the religious rituals and they made everything look good. They wore long robes and they went to the synagogue. And the Lord says, you hypocrite. You've got it all wrong. You've got it all backwards. You're looking at greatness the wrong way. You're looking at it from an outward standpoint. I'm looking at the heart. Jesus looked at the heart. And that's what He looked at in people. And may the Lord encourage us today to look at three things that are associated with greatness in the Gospel of Matthew. The first one is, greatness lies in humility and childlike trust. That's the first one. Secondly, greatness in the kingdom of God lies in serving others and being the servant of all. And third, greatness in the kingdom of God lies in our great faith that we put in the Lord in every area of our lives. Well, let's look at the first one. Greatness lies in humility and childlike trust. Again, isn't that the opposite of the world? The world says you're going to be great. You've got to get up and you've got to be proud. You've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You've got to be your own man, be your own woman and make it in this world by yourself. God's word is the opposite of that. The Lord says, take all of that, all that learning and throw it away. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to be humble. It's the opposite of the world. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 18, we'll read the first five verses that Matthew writes in this 18th chapter. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. 
Matthew 18.1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Isn't that amazing? I can't imagine. If you were one of the twelve disciples and you have been learning with the Lord for all these years, about three years he spent with them, is that all you could think about is who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? All the things he taught them, all the things that they've done, and they're thinking, what about me, Lord? How about me? Will I be the greatest in the kingdom? They discussed it. They debated it. They deliberated about it. And the Lord answers their question time and again about really what greatness is all about. And notice when they asked him this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? The Lord doesn't say, Peter, step up here. You're the greatest. John, you're the greatest of all. James, no. Notice what he does. He doesn't answer it with a person at all. What does he do? He calls up Kelsey. He calls up Mackenzie. He calls up Alexander and he brings up a little child and they bring in the little child in the midst as an object lesson to them. Who is the greatest? You've got to become like a little child. You've got to humble yourself before God and be converted. That is what greatness is about in the kingdom of God. You know, when the great, they say the greater, the greater they are, the harder they fall. And when you come to Christ, you have to fall. You have to come to Christ and see your need of him to be converted, and you have to come like a little child. I was so blessed recently by the people that got baptized right up here last week, 14 people. It was fantastic. Each one of them had something in common. They all humbled themselves before God. They all acknowledged that they were sinners. They all acknowledged that Jesus died for them on the cross, and they all accepted Him as their Lord, as their King, and as their Savior. And that is what they had in common. And that's what the Lord Jesus said. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Come as a little child. You know, Carl really touched my heart. Carl is six feet eight inches tall. He used to play for an Italian pro basketball team and I think for the Warriors for a while. He played at Cal Berkeley. He achieved so much success. But as he came in life, he came to Jesus as a little child. You can't come in pride and you say, well, Jesus, I guess I'll try you. I think I'll accept you. I'll think I'll become a follower of you. No, you have to get off your high horse. You've got to come down and get on your knees and say, Lord, please forgive me. Please change my life. Make me a new person like Maria was saved. And when you see somebody that gets saved, they become converted like a little child. They're a whole new person. And you just say, wow. You know, I like Jimmy Ray. Jimmy Ray's sitting back, back there. And we have a new name for Jimmy Ray, and he's not Jimmy Ray anymore. And this touches my heart, and I'm very serious. His new name is James. James! The old was Jimmy Ray. That was the old Jimmy Ray. And now he's a saved young man. He's a new person in Christ. He's James. I love that. I love that. And each one of us, when we come to Christ and give our lives to Him, we become a new person. Oh, we still have the same personality. We still look the same. But we've got a new heart. We've been converted like a little child. We've come humbly before the Lord. How many remember the boxer, Muhammad Ali? We still see him around. Known as a great boxer. Well, a few years ago, he was so proud when he used to box. I used to watch him. 
And he would come on and Howard Costell would interview him. Howard Costell has, has gone and departed out of this world now, but he would say something like this. You know, he says, I am the greatest. I float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. You know, he'd say that. But I added a few more words for him. I float like a butterfly and I sting like a bee. And with pride like mine, you can't live with me. <laughs> that was how proud Muhammad Ali was. You couldn't live with a person like that. He had so much pride. And when you have a lot of pride, you have to humble yourself and come to Christ and become converted like a little child. And that's the kind of quality the Lord wants us to have in our lives. He wants to have develop in us humility, humility. The Lord Jesus once said, or says here in verse four, therefore, who humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Yes, you have a choice in life every day. I have a choice. Am I going to be humble or am I going to be proud? And after we get saved, we want to be humble. We want to walk humbly before the Lord. And it's a daily struggle because that old nature's still there and it still wants to rear up its ugly head and pride gets us into more trouble than anything else in our lives. It really, really does. The Bible says that before honor is humility. But it also says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Yes, pride is so bad that the Lord says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to get rid of that pride. You've got to come to Christ. You've got to humble yourself. And even after you're saved, every day we need to start off and say, Lord, break my pride. Break my will. Help me to surrender to you so that we can then be great in the kingdom of heaven. James said in the Apostle James in James 4.10, Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. A man named John Ruskin once said, I believe the first test of a truly great man is humility. Isn't that true? Abraham Lincoln, wouldn't we agree Abraham Lincoln was a great president? You know, he was a humble president. What he went through before he became president is unbelievable. They wrote a book about all the hardships he went through, all the struggles, all the failures he went through, all the losses he went through until he finally became president. He appreciated what God did for him. He was a God-fearing man. He was a humble man. And he went through the hardest times during the Civil War. But he kept his faith in the Lord. And he was humble. And God blessed him. Yes, greatness lies in humility. The world says, no, that doesn't make sense. God says, greatness lies in humility. Secondly, not only does greatness lie in humility, but greatness lies in serving others. That is what greatness is all about. Turn over a couple pages to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Matthew 20, 20. Here's the story of the mother of Zebedee, James and John's mother. Notice it says the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down, asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant me, grant, I should say, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am about to be baptized with? And they said, we are able. And when the ten heard it, or excuse me, verse 23 
they said, we are able. And he said, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared for by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the ten two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself. Notice again, like he called them the first time to talk about it. Called them to himself. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Think about the scene. Picture ourselves going back in time to the days of Jesus. And we see this lady coming out from the crowd, the mother of James and John, Mrs. Zebedee. And she comes in such a humble way. She comes and she bows down for, for the Lord Jesus. I think this is humorous because what she's asking is something in pride about her two sons. And yet she comes like it's humble, right? She's humble. Oh, Lord, I, I have a request to make from you. It's amazing. So she comes to make her request. And the Lord says, what do you wish? He knew what she was asking for. He knew what was in her heart, but he wants her to articulate it. He wants her to say the words. It's amazing. Sometimes when we, we think something in our mind and we say it, as soon as the words go out, we wish we could take those words back, don't we? Let me get it back, Lord. Oh, I can't. Once we say it, it's there. And I think once maybe she said those words, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. And surely she shouldn't have. But she asked these things. She says, Lord Jesus, I have a request. I would like you to have my two sons sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your kingdom. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. Just my two boys. These, I'm so proud of them. James and John. They were called the sons of Boanjernes. In other words, sons of thunder. They were great disciples. But can you imagine a mother wanting her son to sit one on Jesus' right hand and one on his left hand. Oh, elevate them, Lord. Put them up to a high position and then they'll be exalted and this will be wonderful. For all eternity in heaven, they'll be sitting right next to you. The Lord probably goes says, Oh boy, she doesn't understand. The boys obviously didn't understand by, by their responses to this question either. It's amazing. Because the Lord says, wait a minute, do you realize, are you able? And he's not directing now this question back to, to the mother. He's asking the boys now. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Notice their answer. We are able. It's amazing, the disciples. Notice the pride. The pride is still there because they think, oh, yeah, we can do it. Remember when the Lord told Peter, you're going to deny me three times? He says, no, I won't. In his flesh, he was determined not to. You know, we can have that desire. We can be so proud. We can think we can do things on our own. Yeah, we can do it. We can do it. We can't do it. And we can see that they couldn't do it. And the Lord says, okay, yes, you are going to drink the cup that I'm going to drink. And you are going to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. Because later on, they were martyred for their faith in the Lord. At least James was. He was beheaded. And it's amazing, but the Lord says, to give this is not mine to give, it's the Father's. To whoever's going to sit on my right hand and whoever's going to sit on my left hand, that's for the Father to decide. Oh boy, now they're in deep. They're in deep now. And notice the other ten disciples, 
were getting quite angry at this point. They were starting to say, whoa, who are these to exalt themselves to this high position and do this? And so the Lord said, time out. Time out. Come to me. Let's huddle up. Let's talk about this a little bit more. He didn't want there to be any animosity or bitterness between the twelve disciples. He wanted them to all be equal and he wanted them all to, to follow in his, his path. So he stops them right there and he gives them another object lesson. He's going to explain to them what greatness in the kingdom is really all about. Yes, you want to be great in God's kingdom. It's a totally different thing. It's to be the servant of all. And notice he uses the analogy. He says, you know, in verse 25, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. He says in the world, that's true. Great people are strong and powerful. They're generals, they're centurions, they're, they're leaders, they're Caesars, they're all kinds of rulers. And when they're strong, they exercise authority. They make you do what you want them to do. And if Adam is in the army and, they, and he doesn't obey, Bam, you're out of there. You know that they don't tolerate it. Great people in the world exercise authority and you obey or you will not make it. And that's the way it is even in the world today. If somebody exercises authority, I mean, they have it. But the Lord Jesus said it's not by sheer force or authority. That's not what greatness is all about, that you can make somebody do what you want them to do. No, greatness lies in serving others. Greatness lies in being the slave of all. Totally opposite of what the world thinks. It's amazing. Greatness in the kingdom involves serving the Lord. You know how many people have you heard use the expression, don't do as I say. I mean, don't do as I do, do as I say. That's a bad one. That's hypocritical, right? If you say, don't do as I do, do as I say. That means you're not doing it, but you're saying you do it. That's what people do in the world. But Jesus says, do as I do. Jesus showed throughout his ministry on earth to his disciples what it meant to be humble and what it meant to serve. And what really touched my heart as I was preparing this message as I was thinking about John chapter 13. When the Lord was going to the cross and he was in the upper room and he had celebrated the Lord's Supper, he got down on his hands and knees and washed the disciples' feet. He showed a tremendous example of service there. Wasn't our Lord great? Isn't He the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of the universe? He got down and washed their dirty feet. And I was thinking about it. Twelve disciples, right? Two feet each. Twenty-four feet. Twenty-four feet. He washed all twenty-four feet. And I found in this, there's seven things that it says that the Lord did there in that upper room when He washed their feet. The first thing he did is he rose from supper. He rose from supper. Secondly, he laid aside his garments. Third, he took a towel. Fourth, he girded himself. He prepared. Fourth, he poured water into a basin. Sixth, he began to wash their feet. And number seven, he wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. That blew me away. It humbled me so much to think that my Lord, my Savior, would get down and wash 24 dirty feet. 24 dirty feet. He would serve them. And in their culture, that was the lowest place a person could have. That was the place of a slave. 
because they would bring the slave in, the, the bond slave in, and that slave would wash the person's feet. Nobody took that place at the upper room. None of the other 12 disciples did that. Jesus took the lowest place. He bowed down. He washed their feet. And then He said to them, He says, Now, go and do likewise. Serve one another. Oh, what an example our Savior gave us that He would say to us, Now, if you want to be great in the kingdom, yes, be humble. And secondly, serve others. Be the servant of all. Take the initiative. When nobody else wants to do the menial job, you do it. When nobody else likes it, you take it on. When nobody wants that responsibility, you do it. You're the one. God calls us to be servants. And that's one of the greatest lessons we can learn in the Christian life is serving others. You know, when the Lord gives out rewards in heaven, He's going to have great rewards for the preachers. He's going to have great rewards for the teachers for the pastors, for the singers, for the choir. You know, there'll be rewards for everyone. He's going to have special rewards for everybody, especially those that have served, have done, have been in the trenches. I was reading a book and it talked about Winston Churchill during the days of Britain fighting against the Germans. And he talked about, at the end of the war, he talked about those who were in the military, those who were in the army and that fart Rommel out in the desert. And then he talked about the, the pilots in the Royal Air Force that flew and, and bombed Germany and, and won over the Lufthansa, uh, Luftwaffe. And then he talked about some coal miners. He said, you men, while they were out fighting the war and winning the war and saving Britain, these men, sweaty, filled with coal, dirty, here they are. These men supported you. These are great men because they served. And I thought, wow. Lord, make me like that. Make me willing to do whatever is going on for you behind the scenes. Where it doesn't have to be out in the open. Where people don't have to see it. Where only God sees it in secret. And He'll bless you and He'll reward you. May God help us to be servants like that. The Lord Jesus was the greatest example of service. Notice verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Doesn't that just melt your heart? The Lord and God of the universe came down not to be served, but to serve. So many people nowadays think that somehow life owes them. Somehow that they should be served. That uh, wherever they go, they should be pampered and waited on and cared for. No, that's not what greatness is all about at all. Greatness lies in serving. Greatness lies in being a servant of others. And then finally... The third one is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 5 through 10, and also in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. We won't read them for now, but I'm going to give you two examples of people. And they were both Gentiles who had great faith in the Lord. And because of their great faith, they amazed the Lord because of their faith. They had the request that they brought. The first one is the Roman centurion. One day his servant was ill. He was near death. He was paralyzed. He didn't know what, what to do. He'd probably tried every doctor there was. Spent all money he could to get his servant better and it didn't work. He heard about Jesus. He heard Jesus had the power to heal, had the power to save, and that that was his hope. So he went to the Lord Jesus and he asked the Lord Jesus to come. 
And he asked the Lord for help and he said, the Lord told him, I will come and heal him. But it's amazing what the centurion said. He says, Lord, he calls him Lord. He says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Here's that example of humility again. It's beautiful. He says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. You don't have to be there, Lord. You can heal by just speaking one word and then it will be done. He had an amazing faith. And beyond that, notice what he says. He says, I too, Lord, am a man under authority. So he recognized Jesus had authority. He says, I too am a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And the Lord says, stop right there. Look at that great faith that he has. He recognizes me that I am the Messiah, that I am the ruler, I am the authority. And he, he sees it. And he says, this man has faith. And so he says to him, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. No, not even in Israel. He says, here's a Gentile. Here's a Roman centurion. He didn't know the Old Testament. He didn't know the scripture. But he came and he knew who had the answer to his need. And he came. And he had great faith. He wasn't going to go home without the answer. He wasn't going to go home without that problem being solved. He wasn't going to give up. Doesn't it remind us in our lives when we come to the Lord in prayer every day and sometimes we're faced with huge mountains, huge obstacles, things that are impossible. But we come with our faith and we say, Lord, give me great faith. Give me the faith to believe that you have the power to do it and you have the will to do it. And he will. And He will answer our prayers. He will do great things for us if it's according to His will. But so many times the finger comes back at me and I say, I feel like that expression, oh ye of little faith. But I put, it, I put my name in it. I take the ye off and I put, oh dean of little faith. Because so many times I know the Lord can do it. I know He will do it, but my faith sometimes is weak. I feel like that man in the Gospels, Phil Payne, mentioned, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And we have, we're, we're of that same fiber. We're of that same human nature. We do believe in the Lord, but there are times when our faith gets weak and we need to say, Lord, strengthen my faith. Stretch my faith. Make me a strong, great man of faith. A great woman of faith. And that's what the Lord wants to do in our lives. Yes, he received an answer to his prayer. It says at that moment, the Lord spoke the word was the moment that that servant back home was healed. So when he got home with all his entourage, he got back. He's healed. He's up. He's walking. Look what happened. And he says, wait a minute. Let me tell you what happened. I went to Jesus. Jesus healed him. He said, how did Jesus? I thought you went to get Jesus. He wasn't here. Jesus wasn't here while you were gone. no, Jesus has the authority to heal by just speaking one word. And that's what he did. That's great faith. And just think of the testimony in that household that spread out in that day. And then the second instance of great faith is found in the 15th chapter. And you can read it later. Chapter 15, 21 through 28 speaks about a woman who's called a Syrophoenician woman. In other words, she was from the region of Tyre and Sidon. And she too was a Gentile. She had no part in Israel. She wasn't a Jew. And yet she had a great need because her little daughter was demon possessed. Wouldn't that be terrible? Demon possessed. She was in great need. And this woman came 
And she put her faith to the test and she came to the Lord Jesus and she asked him for help. And the disciples, of course, at first the Lord doesn't answer her a word and the disciples say, Lord, send her away. She's bothering us. She's noisy. She's causing us difficulty here. Send her away, Lord. She's a Gentile. We don't have anything to do with Gentiles. You know, the Jews believed that the Gentiles were fuel for the fires of hell. That's how much they hated the Gentiles. And yet, the Lord Jesus loves all of us. He had a love for her, but he was putting her face to the test and he didn't say anything. He's going to see, okay, is she going to just walk away and say, okay, I'm going home. He didn't answer. Jesus didn't come through. I asked him, but he kicked me out. No. She cries out in mercy to the Lord. She cries out for mercy and she prays that beautiful but short prayer. Lord, help me. The Lord will never turn down your prayer. When you come and ask for the Lord for help in any area of your life, He will help you. He will. He always does. And that's what He did. But notice what the Lord says to her. He says, okay, it's not good to take the children's food, a.k.a. the children of Israel, and throw it to the little dogs, a.k.a. the Gentiles. Get what he's saying. It's not going to take the word of God and the blessings and all this and give it to the Gentiles. He says that's what we're we're not. We can't do that. But notice what she does. She says, yes, Lord. But even the little dogs can gather the crumbs from the master's table. Think of how humble she was and how she stooped down so low. She wants mercy for her daughter. She's willing, Lord. She says crumbs from your table, Lord is a better feast than all the loaves in the world. I would rather eat crumbs from Jesus' table than anything else. And that's the way it is. If you come to the Lord Jesus and you come in great faith, you can feed on the crumbs and be satisfied for eternity. But not that's not what He gives. He doesn't give us crumbs. He gives us the greatest and best blessing here and in eternity above. And what a blessing it is to have faith like that like this woman had. William Ward once said, faith in God makes a person undaunted, unafraid, undivided, and unflappable. And that's the way she was. And so was the Roman centurion. And they both had a lot in common. They were both Gentiles. They both came with great need. They both came for others, not for themselves. And they both went home with tremendous answers to prayer. Yes, we can have that kind of faith too. But just like we go to the gym and build our muscles up, right? Lifting weights, doing running and bicycling, swimming, whatever your sport, you build up the muscles. We need to build up our faith. We build it up by trusting God for the little things. And as He answers us with the little things, then we bring the bigger things to Him and the giant things to Him. And He answers it. But we say, Lord, give me that faith to really believe. And when we do have that kind of faith, the Lord blesses our lives tremendously. So in conclusion today, we want to see That what the world considers great and what the Lord considers great are two different things. God doesn't consider greatness on the outside. It's what's on the inside in our hearts. Greatness lies in humility, in that childlike trust. And greatness also lies in serving others and being the servant of all. And greatness lies in a faith that believes in God, that he has the power to do things in our lives. May the Lord help us to come and confront our circumstances when we go through that door today. And when we go out into that world, we're going to face some some tough things. We're going to face troubles. We're going to face trials and afflictions. 
We're going to face injustices. We're going to face all kinds of things this week. But thank God we can face it with the Lord's help. And we can know that greatness lies not in the things of this world, not in the success and the power and the fame of all the people that the world considers great. But if you want to be great in God's kingdom, there's a song that says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And that will really help us to grow in our lives and to really be what God wants us to be. I just want to close with two quotations. The first one is this. If you want to get up, step down. If you want to be seen, get out of sight. If you want to be great, forget yourself. And the second one is, the beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less. And the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. I'm just going to repeat that one again. The beginning of greatness is to be little. That's the beginning. The increase of greatness is to be less. But the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. And when we come to Christ and we say, Lord, I'm nothing in myself. You are my everything. You are my all. Take control of my life. Lead me according to your will. Our lives will grow. We will grow and we will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we just thank you so much for your word that encourages us. It challenges us. Sometimes it rebukes us, Lord, for our weakness of faith. We just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be servants. Help us to serve one another. Help us to serve no matter if we get attention or acclaim or applause in this world. Help us to do everything for your glory, to bring honor to your name. Help us to be humble like little children, Lord, just depending on you for everything. Not seeking our own way in life, not forcing our way on others. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be servants. Help us to be great in our faith. We just thank you and praise you now. Please give us a great week. Help us to serve you and honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.